Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I like to use the second of these Monday episodes to reflect a bit on the weekend sport, but also to give all you non-members listening, just to give you a feel for what's going down in the World Service during the week. And this week, there's a lot going down. Welcome to the pod. Hey, guys. Hey, on. How's oh, it going? Hey, yeah. If you're today's football show, you'll know that Ken is once again refusing to give Real Madrid a chance of turning Man City over in the Champions League. I would not give Real Madrid a rat's chance. Coverage of that on Wednesday. Thursday is the big Trent Alexander-Arnold centre-mid debate in studio between Ken Early and Damien Delaney. Murph is literally rubbing his hands here. Damien says he fell off his chair when listening to Ken <laughs> expound on this topic recently and has demanded a debate. he didn't suffer an injury. No, he's okay. He's, he's ready to rock. Friday's pod, ooh, that one's earmarked for a very special guest. The Mick McCarthy rule precludes me from saying who it is, but a very big name from the world of sport. And tomorrow, ooh, tomorrow we've got a meeting of hurling and Gaelic football minds. Ken's very intrigued about that Friday thing. I don't know if who Ken knows who it is. <laughs> who is who? Well, I'm not saying it until we... I'm not saying it until You'll be very happy. You'll be happy with it. You'll be happy. (laughs) So tomorrow, a meeting of hurling and Gaelic football minds. Jamie Wall and Paul Flynn on together to discuss the future. I warned you against this one, but you were adamant. We crossed the streams. Forget the future. They're discussing the fury in the hurling community about their sport being largely banished. Greatest sport that was ever played by any man. As they would see it. To GA go so far this championship season. The touch paper. It's been hanging around for a week or two now. It's been ready to be, you know, yeah, if anyone has a lighter. It's been a lot of lighters. Don't low Cusack on the Sunday game last night. Lit the touch paper. I sat over there and the head of sport and RT was here. You were here, right? And I said that given what was coming, that was a number of months ago, given what was coming with the coverage of the games in this country and on this station, we should put a rugby ball up in the corner of the screen up there, right? And... I'm very proud of the Irish rugby team and they're a credit to the country and we all hope they'll win the World Cup. But in terms of being a competitive space, the GA have waved the white flag, flag because we've now given over 2023 to rugby country. <laughs> Don't low cues like sitting in an RTE studio excoriating RTE along with the GAA mm. was an interesting one. And I'll tell you, Owen, uh, <laughs> uh, live lied. 
uh, is uh, I think nearly over now. Is it? Is it over at ten past? No, you mad? It's quarter, no, it's no, quarter, it's quarter to two to three. Quarter to two to three. Sorry, yes, of course. They've so got this on live line, do they? Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's RTE's two biggest brands excoriating RTE <laughs> on RTE. So yeah, it's uh, listen. You know, it's uh, wheels within wheels. Love it. Hope you're enjoying the tournament. Yeah. Well, Rob, this. Uh, if we could see the tournament, we could see the tournament. Too much years, too much years on there. Now this is this is very interesting. It's, it's it is well worth. We talked about it last week in Friday. We talked about it last Monday after the the Limerick, the Clare win against Limerick yep. was on Diego, and then this weekend it was the big Clare tip match, Cork tip, sorry, okay, yeah. Cork tip game, yeah. which had an unbelievable ending. It was just yeah. it was always had the potential to be really but, good, and even more than that, on. It like just a brilliant televisual spectacle of Porky Queeve. Yeah. 36,000 yeah. people, summer evening. It looked so good. It looked absolutely brilliant. But behind a paywall on. There does seem to be very little monster around Robin on RTE this year compared to previous years, right? Yeah. Uh, well, at this stage last year, there had been five Monster Championship games played. Three of them had been shown on RTE, only one this year. And over the course of the entirety of last year's championship, only one Monster Championship game was played on Sky Sports. So as far as RTE were concerned, over our dead bodies, mm. would Sky Sports be showing Monster Hurling Championship games? So there has definitely been an almost complete switch around in how uh, RTE, Diego and Sky have operated in this space. Bearing in mind that Diego is co-owned by, by RTE, RTE and the and GA, the GA. So it's so. a different thing from having a so competitor the idea, yeah, like exactly. Sky Sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It, this idea that we're talking uh, as if there's a competitor, a new competitor in yeah. the market. To RTE. It was, it was the, the main point Donald Logue made, or one of them mm. is that essentially they're trying to drive subscriptions to via the hurling, which at the moment is the, the biggest deal. There's a lot more jeopardy involved in these hurling matches, which, you know, that's, you can agree or disagree with some of Don Lowe's language, but I think that point is fairly clearly true. That is, that yeah. is why they're trying to, uh, what they're trying to do here. And they've certainly front-loaded it to the start of the championship to, so that people, they get people to sign up as early as possible. Listen, we'll get into it with Paul Finn and Jamie tomorrow. So hang on, I'm you're really telling- interested to see what exactly they make of it yeah, because yeah. they're coming at it from, from quite different angles You're telling well. me that we're going to get into this with Jamie and Paul behind our paywall is that what you're saying that's precisely it if you want to hear go, this if you want to hear this <laughs> argument <laughs> is that is that ironic I don't know you be the judge of that but, but what good value it is only 5 euro a month plus fat yep. 6 pods a week for that <laughs> lots of football on RTE at the moment Murph yep <sighs> not great no it's not great this weekend was not good no it was easy wasn't. wins for Galway and for Kerry in in the Munster final you had the, the party and David Clifford playing the day after the the tragic death of their mum Ellen and playing um, as they always do very well and and performing well on the day yeah and both of them were both of them were brilliant Um, and it was actually very touching to see uh, just how the Kerry um, because sort of the, the panel and team management kind of rallied around them and protected them, you know. I mean, one of the the, the great things that we've seen in the GA over the course of the last year has been like every game that David Clifford plays that isn't in Crow Park, he's just like beset by autograph hunters and people wanting mm. selfies, and, all, and he's been so generous and giving with his time in that area. And then all of a sudden, y- yesterday, you see Mike Quirk, uh, uh, former contributor to this podcast, who's now a, a Kerry selector. Just wa- not rushing out to him, just walking out and just putting his arm around him and just saying to the kids, you know, any other day, but not today. He walks up, he picks up the trophy, 
gets them out of the match, of course, like uh, doesn't do the interview, doesn't do the speech, but just did the business. And, you know, it's 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 such um it's such a fraud thing to talk about. And I think that there's, you know, there, there's, um, you know, it's it's re- it's really difficult to put yourself into the shoes of someone who's grieving. Uh, and the uh, the fact that they uh, went out and played yesterday is, uh, you know, it was great that football and the GA was a thing that they could retreat to when they were grieving, and that's a brilliant mm-hmm. thing. I also think it's important to say that if they if they didn't want to play, uh, or if they decided that it just it just wouldn't have been right, or it wouldn't have been appropriate, or they would have felt that it was, uh, it, it wasn't the, the the right way to to kind of celebrate the life of their mother. That that's absolutely fine as well. And that's really brave as well. That's a really brave thing to be able to say. Listen, lads, for the good of this team, I don't think I'm in the correct headspace to to actually play. So yeah, we, got, we got an email along those lines, Fergus Stone, saying that most people would wouldn't be able to play a game of that sort or any sort 24 hours after a bereavement yeah. like this and they're no lesser people for that decision yeah and I just I just think well. that's a, I, I just think that, that that's a really uh, that's a really good point that, Fer, that Fergus, Fergus made there um, and it's worth making as well that do you know it's it, it's not it, it's not even about uh, about bravery or about the right way to, m- to mark someone's passing. Honestly, sometimes it's just whatever feels right in that yeah, moment. Yeah, right the, to them. It's, it's, is the thing it's to they do. And their dad wanted, wanted was happy for that to happen as well. Yeah, exactly. As, as and said, it's, as Jack O'Connor and, I think said afterwards. Yeah, and you know it's weird. We were talking about Jack Conan that Jack Conan interview we did last week. We were talking about it a bit uh, during the week last week as well. And I, that that idea that you don't know what's going on behind you know behind the 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 public persona that these sports people. Uh, give you, you know, and the 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 fuss of run through the junior championship. Uh, their mother was at Inco Park that day with a palliative care nurse, and you know she saw the two lads winning their Ireland last year. It's a you know just a, a huge amazing thing and a huge pressure maybe that they, you know David spoke after that game, but the, just the pressures that he felt and the pressures that you feel as a club person with their family being heavily involved in the club all those years, and that just makes you know. You know, in light of of what we know now, it just makes more sense and more kind of tragic sense um, that he was just so excited to have been able to have won that game last July, won that All Ireland last July, and won that All Ireland this January. It's a it's an amazing thing. Time to talk rugby. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 1850-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Lion Live. 
0818 is our text number and joe at rt.ie from wherever you are in the world ken good afternoon how are you you saw it what happened i mean i actually was abused by a dane as well mm-hmm. the night before go ahead i was i was i was having uh dinner after the the, the, you know, we finished our work or whatever on Friday, went into town, we were, we were sitting in a restaurant. Uh, you were a journalist. Uh, and uh, Myself mm-hmm. and three other journalists. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point, we were. it turned out we were all looking at our phones simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Like we were waiting, waiting in the bill or something. Mm-hmm. And this Danish guy mm-hmm. staggered up from behind, sort of mm-hmm. suddenly leaned on the table and he goes, Go ahead. Is there a Wi-Fi? Is there a Wi-Fi in here? The whole thing, say, Ken, the whole thing is, is getting more and more bizarre. You, you didn't do it. Did you, did you report that to the FAI or anything? We were like... Uh, uh, actually, we're just on the 3G. Mm-hmm. Before we could finish explaining, we weren't actually on the Wi-Fi. He goes, "Wi-Fi wankers, you're all Wi-Fi wankers." Did he write because, this himself? Did he, we compose, were, sorry, did he compose this line himself? You know, uh, he all he had seen was for. I, I don't know how he knew we were Irish, but he he knew. Mm-hmm. Wi-Fi wankers, mm-hmm. you're all Wi-Fi wankers. Simon's in for this one. Hey, Simon. Hey, Owen. How are you? And Jerry Thorne is in with us. Jerry, how are you? Good, thank you. Listen, forget Connacht's shock win in Belfast, Leinster and Munster setting up a semi final against each other. You were at the big one at the weekend, Terenure versus Clontarf. I hear Simon's boys took one hell of a beating. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't look like they were going to. It looked for all the world at Clontarf. About half an hour in, they were winning 10 6. I remember looking at the scoreboard and thinking, how is it only 10 6? Because like, Clontarf looked dominant through their forward pack. Yeah. And Assel King's brilliant finish in the corner. But then Ternier came back, intercept try, brilliant try by um, Craig Adams, a left winger, chip and gather in overtime. And suddenly they're 18 10 up at half time. And then third quarter, they just played a brilliant brand of rugby. A record crowd since the Aviva's redevelopment for an AIL match, 8,500. It's brilliant. I remember last year you were waxing lyrical about yeah. the atmosphere. Is it similar yeah. this year, better again, even? Somebody asked me after what was it like compared to last year. I said, bigger and better. Right. Just a new, they're probably the best two supported clubs in Ireland because Terenure lost they came back with renewed vigour and made an even bigger effort to get the community and yeah. the school and everybody involved and as much as Clontarf have put it up to Terenure on the pitch I think Terenure have put it up to Clontarf a little bit off the pitch Oh there's definitely a thing that, the, Yeah I'm a blower in Clontarf yeah. but uh, we went in on the train but there's definitely a reaction last year yes. to Oh my God, the Turnier fans exactly. are unbelievable. Oh really? Yeah, yeah there's okay. a big thing going on there. Yeah, yeah. That's what you want, isn't yes. it? Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant rivalry. I call it the New Classico. Because the t- <laughs> they met twice in a row now in finals at six meetings. Yeah. And until half time, there's been nothing between them in all the five games really until Turnier suddenly exploded into life. And they're good for each other. It's a very respectful rivalry. Um, I was actually l- lurking on the outskirts of the Turnier dressing room when... Um, Clontarf captain and coach both came in Andy Wood and Matt Darcy and really spoke classily mm. to congratulate the Terranure players and they obviously couldn't have any complaints with the 50-24 scoreline and uh, Caelan Dooley kicking 11 out of 12 for 30 points which is kind of ridiculous but great tries as well it's He was ridiculous, ridiculous. international standard kicking Ridiculous absolutely 11 out of 12 30 points 8 penalties 3 conversions I think and the one three or four from the touchline, yeah, at least. Yeah. And one hit. The only one he missed hit the post, and it was like a, a little dagger in the heart of Clontarf every time he kept nailing three points. He just, you know, kept the. Yeah. I must admit, I was speaking to the referee afterwards. We had a good game, and he said that the one where Dooley lined it up from forty-seven meters out near the left touchline, the referee had said, "You're going for the post." <laughs> <laughs> How was the atmosphere on the train home, side? Was it all right? Oh, very quiet. Like was we it? went with we the. Under 10 minis around us as well, and uh, <laughs> very excited beforehand. They managed to get on TV, which is their main takeaway yeah, from the game. Yeah, yeah. But it's the club, I had no kind of connection to GA growing up, but I was always envious of the feel of the club thing. And Murph would go on about this, Kira Murphy. 
it's the closest like a couple of Dublin suburbs will get Absolutely. rugby suburbs I mean I went, it obviously happens in GA I went up Dublin. to Lakelands last night when they came back with the trophy and uh I mean, there must have been nearly 8,000 there. So a lot of people didn't even go to the match, just descended upon the place. It's become the heartbeat of the community, the rugby club up there. And in a weird way, it's, it's a lot of work has gone in over a lot of periods. I was just telling you before we came on air, they had, I went up there and I asked a few people, like, how did you do this? How have you become almost a template for all other clubs in Ireland to follow? And a lot of people did liken it to a GA kind of Kilmacud Croke kind of parish feel to it with, with all the celebrations. There must have been about 10 food outlets outside bars just thronged with people all wearing the terror in your colours and apparently they had a meeting in 2012 which 120 members turned up and basically lead item the agenda is what are we? Are we a rugby club? What are we? Because they were not getting on with the neighbours who were complaining about the noise levels. They didn't have a great relationship with the school and they just went out and just reinvented themselves in ties with the community. All the businesses were all the windows were full of bunting in the in, in Terranier yesterday. Um, they got huge ties now at the school. I think three of the playing squad teach in the school. Mm. They virtually had the whole school there supporting them yesterday. Um, they've got local businesses on board. It's just... And during the pandemic, when we all thought this could be the death knell for clubs, amazingly, all 50 clubs have come back, plus all the junior clubs. Like, none went. Yeah. Which was remarkable when you think that two seasons, effectively, were lost, mm. or season half. In Lakelands, partly through um, Harrison Brewer's shack and the coffee there, and then they had put later put on a pizza place there. It, remember those days, when those grim days when our only social outlet was walking in coffee and socially distant <laughs> meetings? It became a really popular place for people just to come and meet up for a coffee. So that when the club reopened for business, there was a just a feel-good factor about the place again. Mm. So all in all, I think they're a shining example of how to do it. And the atmosphere, I'm not never mind the quality of the match and the sense of jeopardy and everything, was so much better than the Leinster Sharks game, which had twice the attendance. Oh, the well, before. a lot of Ireland games. Honestly, it's yes. <laughs> 9,000 9, people or whatever making more noise than 50,000 yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, because it really matters to them. You were up in Belfast as well? I was a busy weekend of rugby, yeah. Yep. Uh, Belfast on Friday, Aviva Saturday and Sunday. I was up in Belfast on Friday night. Strange old atmosphere. It wasn't a full house. I think there was... Generally, there's a level of expectancy amongst the Kingspan faithful that they're going to beat Connacht. And there was... Connacht started very well and started to put pressure on. And I remember hearing strains of like clear, audible chants of Connacht. They brought several hundred fans there. It was a really good away contingent. I guess when you win six out of seven, you reach the knockout stages. It's your, almost like your last hit. If you don't win, you just go for it. And it was a serious invasion of green and they were noisy. And they were much more supportive and chanting in support of their team than the home fans were, who spent much of the night just berating the referee and booing. And I thought that the Ulster players put in a very kind of some of them a distracted performance mm. like John Cooney well John Cooney was spoken to by the referee um, Stuart McCluskey was spoken just for lip just for dissent yeah. and it was one was feeding the other the dissent on the pitch was feeding the dissent off it and vice versa and a home team can get just a bit too distracted now Andrew Brace was nothing if not consistent and you looked at a lot of the penalties they just looked absolutely bang on like Rob Herring didn't release in the tackle when it looked like he was going for the post that the crowd howled but it was the correct decision and I guess maybe a stronger referee wouldn't have penalised Ulster 18 times. And it was a key factor in the match. Mm. Along with um, Connacht had identified that when Ulster go wide, and they go wide a lot, particularly off strike plays, they don't resource the rucks as well as they do closer. And that's a problem for a lot of teams when they go wide. Mm. And they really targeted the outside channels and had great joy. But mind you, I think they forced 10 turnovers and a b- bunch of those penalties were for, largely for breakdown and jackals and they all contributed. Seamus Hurley-Langton was astonishing. One of the, his best performance in yeah. the Connacht jersey. I mean, 
Dave Heffernan got one. Bundy had a really strong second half. He got Mac Hansen. Like, Mac Hansen was split open in his forehead. Did you see the wound? Like, yes. It's like Saddam Hussein was here on his forehead. It was just extraordinary. And he spends 15 minutes before halftime and during halftime and then comes out in the second half. And he makes that brilliant tackle on Robert Balakoon, who's by some distance Ulster's best player, bounces to feet, and at the next ruck wins a turnover. I doubt he was doing that in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> you know oh, I mean? yeah. oh, for sure. There's He's a load just, of load of our, our players that have come over that become better. Low yeah. is another obvious yeah. example. Yeah. Gibson Park. But I just, I felt like there was something wrong psychologically with Ulster in the middle of this season, obviously when they did their major blip. But even since then, when they've stabilised, there's sort of lack of spark about them. And they lacked almost personality at the weekend for want of a better explanation and almost their inability to react to the fact that kind of ke- it must have been some sort of record for turnovers and poaches yes. and turnover yeah. penalties the fact that they didn't react to that and change it in some way over the 80 minutes was utterly baffling as was their lack of intensity in getting to the breakdown yeah. and just not cl- in that the kind of player was over the ball and just wasn't being shifted or, really ke- or keep the, the ball alive attempt yes. more offloads just yeah. keep it away yeah. from yeah. the conic back row essentially like the one man who really threatened Conk the most was because he had three magnificent offloads was Balakoon as well mm. as all the tackles he beat and it was hard to think of McCluskey even coming in and that's a real strength in his game the other thing I th- I, I actually had this very same feeling immediately after the game and I asked Dan McFarland do you think there was a lack of fear I didn't use the word respect because I knew he'd say no mm. but was there just a little bit of a lack of fear I f- would find it very hard to think that the perf- Ulster performance would have been so distracted and lacking in intensity and urgency if that had been Leinster or Munster like they thrashed Munster in the quarterfinal stages at home last year partly because they were looking for revenge they'd lost twice in the regular season this time they'd beaten Connacht twice Connacht have won twice in Belfast since 1960 they were long outsiders it's when and when you're losing to Connacht, it's almost like an international side losing to Italy. Everybody loves Connacht as long as not beating them. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't you, know. But, I, oh, but yeah. the other thing, he said no, that absolutely they had total fear of what Connacht would do. And they forewar- I, mean, I no doubt Dan believed he used to coach Connacht after all and he played there. He knows Connacht better than any other opposing coach and he would have absolutely had total respect for the threat that Connacht posed. But I agree with you because during the game, I can't remember one Ulster huddle where they just were all pulling each other together and, you know, trying to change things around and make the, the There seemed to be a lack of a proactive kind of leadership within the group. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And you bring up Balakoon there, who was their best player in the night by far. And somebody I feel Irish rugby needs to get a tune out of because he's so talented and it's kind of crazy if he's not closer to the Irish setup, given what he has going for him. But if you look at the Ulster players who get close to the Irish team, um, the likes of Stockdale, I think Balakoon besides this game needs to get way more out of himself. Hume, Lowry, and there's others. I just feel like there's loads of them that haven't improved in the last year or so. And if that's if you think that's McFarland's fault, is it something to do with Ulster, the culture? What is it that's going on that there should be far more Ulster players in the Irish team? And even say Tom O'Toole, who I think is their real one success in an Irish context this year, he looks way better in an Irish jersey than an Ulster jersey. True. Um, yeah, as does Kieran Treadwell. He looks better mm. in an Irish jersey whenever he plays for Ireland than he does for Ulster. I think they miss Jared Payne. I think a lot of this coincides with Jared Payne moving on. A, a few Ulster players I've spoken to, even though he's ostensibly only defence, describe him as, as one of the or the best coach they've ever worked with. That as soon as he stopped being a player and went to being a coach, there was no more Pally going out for drinks together, come over to my house for dinner. It was like he 
immediately renewed a demarcation line and was very, very demanding on the uh, mm. on the training ground. And he got a lot of those talented young players who are really good defenders as a result, like Larry Moore and Hume. And uh, but Hume is a Hume looked a better player last year, a year ago. That was partly also what happened with him on the Irish tour. He got an injury, do you remember, in New Zealand? And he didn't have a great night in the RDS against yeah. the All Blacks 15. But he has, he certainly plateaued a bit this season, yeah. whatever but regressed. He, he looked a bit a much better player last year. Um, and he's Ulster have plateaued. Like, yes. You, do you think there's a problem with the coaching? Well, we've got to balance this out, okay? They did finish... Um, second as opposed to third with about nine points more this season. So in the regular UR season, yep. they've actually had a better campaign than last season. A lot of this is discoloured by the fact that if you lose at home to Connacht in the knockout stages, your season's a disaster. Yeah. As they but ha- you have to greater weighting to this match than any other match in their yes. season. This is the one where they potentially go on to win something. Yeah, I agree. And also, in reality, Connacht should have won by more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like if Tom Farrell gives that pass to Caelan Blade, mm. if uh, Jack Cardi's pass for John Porsche doesn't go to ground, if Bundy's pass doesn't go to ground, that time that Caelan Blade was sniping blind and would have put Key and Pendergast over, but for Stuart McCloskey's hand, like it could easily, yeah. easily have been 19 3 going into the last quarter, and that wouldn't have flattered um, Connacht in the slightest. In fairness to Ulster, they did rally and it did look like they were, when it got back to 10-12, they might salvage it, an undeserved win. But you're right, like for all the reasons we've spoken about before, it was a very poor performance given the context and the importance of the game. We're talking about a, a province that hasn't won a trophy since, what, 2006? Yeah. Um, we go on about Munster's trophy drought, but Ulster's is even longer. And uh, I I do think, like I said earlier, that had they played against Leinster or Munster, that would have been a better performance, that there was something missing. And I don't, no, if it's fair to blame Dan McFarlane, it's such a fickle business that you just suddenly blame the head coach for one defeat. If they mm. salvage a late win, they'd now be in the semi-finals and they have a home semi, which they didn't have last year. And I just thought Connacht look and have looked in recent weeks a way better coach side than Ulster and just a, a better run operation when yeah. you consider the resources. And on about half the budget, Simon. Mm. I'd say they're on a budget of about five million. I'd say Ulster's and Munster's both is twice that and Leinster's is north again. Um, they they would be on a par with the Dragons and Zebra. You know, like McFarlane talking about demographics after the Leinster <laughs> game when he's facing the opposite side of it against Connacht. I think he was right to talk about demographics, but I think it'll, I remember after... Well, then bring it up after the Connacht game. You know? Funny enough, I did. I asked Andy Friend after they qualified for the playoff stages with their last minute at home. I said, so that's a hell of an achievement considering the demographics. And he laughed because it's become <laughs> the new buzzword in town. And they're, they're competing against... And he was very funny after the game because he was asked about... Um, not the demographics but he was asked about you know how they've done what they've done on such a small budget and and he says uh, yeah we don't really mention that or else we use it when we need to <laughs> we're well balanced we've got a chip on both yeah. shoulders but it is a remarkable they're well run ship by Willie Ryan he does a superb job their, their academy structures and, and production line of native yeah, loads talent. Loads more Connick players coming through. Loads more coming through. Dewald Senegal has been a brilliant forwards coach yeah. for them and Andy Friend actually gave him the credit for the, the identification of the breakdown and the wider challenge. That was, he actually credited Senegal. The pity is he's going to Oyonnax for yeah. some reason. Yeah, look, in that, in that 23 that played in Belfast on Friday night, 
Dennis Buckley, Ross Common, Dave Heffernan, Ballina, Niall Murray, Ross Common, Dylan Tierney, Martin Galway, Caelan Blade, Monavay, Jack Carty, of course, at Lone, yep. uh, Tiernan O'Halloran from Clifton, right out in mm-hmm. Connemara. And then there's, in the squad, there's loads more like Owen de Butler, he's from Carrow. You couldn't get more Irish than that in the heart of the Gale Talk near mm-hmm. Spiddle. Uh, Matthew Burke from Ballinasloe, Cottle Ford, Galway, he's a fine player, by the way. Yeah. Shane Jennings, uh, I think Ballinasloe as well. Ushi McCormick, Ballinasloe. Dara Murray also was common. Colin Murray Ballinasloe and then the academy as well. You've also got the Divines, John and Matthew Boat Galway, uh, Hugh Gavin Galway, Harry West Ballina. I don't remember Connacht ever no. being so populated with their own native production players. And it's great that they have that. It's really reinforced the sense of identity with the province. And they're getting great attendances, great crowds. Considering, I would say, per head of population, if you know what I mean. Yeah. They're the best supported of the four provinces. Yeah. If they're getting five or six thousand at home, yeah, that's a phenomenal project. It's been really. a, it's been a brilliant success story, and to complete a brilliant weekend, of course, Leinster beating the Sharks means by dint of finishing seventh in the URC, they've also qualified for next season's Champions Cup. Now they're in a semi final, um, so and they've got you know, they've got their new pitch, which is brilliant for them. And there's you know, there's going to be a new stand, and a, they're upgrading the facilities all the time. I suppose the only concern might be that Andy Friend is now moving on. Mm. It says everything about the the hold that Connacht have on rugby players and coaches that come to the West. That people like Finlay Bealham and Nia Diolokan and the Mary Local Girls that make a life in Galway. And Andy Friend stayed five years in Connacht, which is two years longer than he ever stayed anywhere else in quite a nomadic coaching career. Mm-hmm. And in each one of those five seasons, not once have they had a losing record. And I think in four of them now, they've had a winning record. When you think back at Pat Lamb, we all know that well, that was a wonderful achievement to win the Pro 12 in 2016. But Connacht had a very bad year, first year under Pat Lamb, and a very bad year in the fourth year. This has actually been the most consistent More five consistent, years they've yeah. had. And of course, he's moving on and Senegal's moving on as well. So you'd be a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, Andy Friend might have a URC medal to bring into his camper van on his big <laughs> European trip that he was telling us about recently. You mentioned Munster's trophy drought there. Is there any chance... They could end it this year, take Leinster out in the semi-final. Obviously, they have this good win under their belt at the weekend, but it seems to have come at a, a fair cost as well. Huge cost. Savage game, wasn't it? Just yeah. like they just absolutely crashed into each other all night long. They're gonna, it, you can see the enmity between the two teams, and I'd say that's only going to foster it even more. And it's great that there is such a cross-border rivalry. The URC could do with a few more of them, perhaps. But that came at such a cost. Like, you would imagine... Peter Armani's a severe doubt with an arm injury going off so early. Yeah. And uh, Conor Murray, uh, Malachi Fekatoa, Calvin Nash, and who's Snyman. the other one? Snyman. Hmm? Orgy Snyman. Oh, Orgy Snyman, of course. So all, all head injuries, the last four. Now, we're waiting on a, on a monster update on this, but you would imagine that could be a mandatory 10-day stand-down for them all, in which case they're missing those five players, potentially, for a semi-final. So it really did... It was it, The cost was very, very mm. a heavy toll for them. And they... Munster needed to be at full strength, absolute full yeah. strength to have a chance. They have an abysmal record in the Viva Stadium. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say there'd be too many of the Red Army going because it it's just become a graveyard for them. I think they've lost eleven out of twelve against Leinster alone there. Plus they have the Saracens' defeat, remember, and the Scarlets' yeah. defeat in the final. It's just it's become quite the graveyard for them. And Leinster say they're going to rotate again. Yeah, but that almost won't matter if Munster have that many injuries. Maybe even allow them to rotate that little bit more. I don't know. That wouldn't be that disrespectful to Munster. But it's a, an amazing balancing act that Leo Cullen pulls off every every season, like 50 mm. plus players. And you hear so few grumbles of discontent coming out of the camp. 
like some of them don't play nearly as enough rugby as they would like to or should do. Players like Reese Ruddock who's down around about 10 games and until the South African trip hadn't been injured once this season but playing good rugby. Max Deegan, you see his performance on Saturday, is excellent. Um, so you've got this great strength and depth but whatever way he does this juggling act, he manages to keep everybody on board and of course, more importantly, when it comes to a launch play off a line-out move and it's got Penny coming in and feeding Dan Sheen on the charge, it's just... Everything is so slick and everybody knows their roles and every, mm. it just clicks no matter who's there. The personnel changes, nine changes from the starting 15 Yeah, like to, to have a Harry Byrne yeah. and Frawley at 13 yeah. and Natai at 12, a, a whole new midfield and, it and still look <laughs> still close to perfect. Yes. Another thing about that struck me, I mean, I know the Sharks, it was their, was it their ninth away game in Europe and their seventh away trip this mm. season. <sighs> like, the, And they've got a lot of injuries when you think Jaden yep. Hendrickson and... Uh, it's a bet. and Khaleesi. Um, and they're just travel weary. And as the coach said afterwards, Neil Powell, when I spoke to him about this, and, and we don't always travel business class, so it's tough on them. But that being said... Just for me, Leinster just looked such a better coach. You talk about a better coach side. I thought yep. Leinster looked a really better coached side. Just much more sure and accurate in their detail. Um, and also more skillful. Just like they didn't make the basic handling areas the, char- the Sharks did. Um, they did a little variety of plays and the way they play the game. Just more skillful. And that was despite getting mullered in the scrum for an hour. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I've do have to think we have to give one mention to Grant Williams that scrum half for the Sharks he must be the quickest scrum half in the world he's just a brilliant player to watch and the coach after saying it'd be interesting how the Springboks play at the World Cup because they've got some great X-Factor players and yet when you watch the likes of Sharks you realise how important coaching is they look yes. like the greatest waste of talent yeah. when yeah. you see that collection of players and athletes in particular just not come to anything really no no um, somebody was saying oh it's a shame they're not in the Champions Cup next season yeah but that would have been at the expense of Connacht so I don't agree <laughs> yeah. so, but like if you don't get into the top 8 or if you only get in 8th and it, and it, okay they should have been in the top 8 it was just been a meritocracy system but the Welsh, one of the Welsh sides gets in by winning the Welsh Shield even though none of them are in the top 8 so they miss out but certainly Connacht well deserved to be there and the Sharks barely deserve to be there And yes it is a shame that some of these brilliant Springboks won't be playing the Champions Cup next season I think they'll uh, I think they'll have a renewed focus on trying to get home advantage and knockout stages more they understand that now a bit better you almost have to learn these lessons particularly in Europe mm. look you look at Europe Simon I think of the last 16 quarter final and semi-finals what's that eight four 14 ties how many away away teams progressed I'll save you the bother yeah, yeah. <laughs> none 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 I rest my case your honour yeah. you know you just got to get home ties okay, that so. being said of course Munster won away and Connacht won away which makes their wins even better Jerry brilliant great to have you in thanks a cheers New Zealand to Ryan Toddy getting for the try on the near side of the pitch oh yeah, I don't believe it Ryan Tully scores! Oh my goodness! They've managed it! It's 22 each! Have you got a chance? Uh, no. No, uh, I genuinely would be happy with a 20 point differential. What? I think, I think that would be a success, yeah. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on.
minutes to play. Now Murray away to Carberry. Still running with the ball. Zebo in a bit of space. And there's plenty of room too. All Blacks flying back in defence. Off it goes to Julian Sabir. He can't go anywhere. Five metres scrum. Oh, what a play from Ireland. This is it really. This is it for Ireland. They can put this in, this one out of reach. I don't expect, I do not expect them unless they are demanded to by the referee to release this ball from the scrum. Less than five minutes. Here's Heaslip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off the head. conversion for Joey Carberry to make his contribution on debut. All Blacks charge. Up go the flags. This is history in the making and they are really good for an island. They deserve this. And what a night it's going to be. What a triumph it is for Joe Smith. Kiwi boy who's engineered some real history. Into the grandstand it goes. Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time. Got an email in here from Kieran Coyle, long-time subscriber, first-time writer. I've been listening to the show for years, but just last week you mentioned Shane Curran and his theories around Arsenal. Grant, I didn't know who he was, I thought nothing of it. Fast forward a week and I'm on holiday and a gent gets into the lift with me and my girlfriend and he's charming and engaging. Grand, I thought. Met him again the next morning at breakfast. He mentions picking up a car <laughs> for his daughters and that he's from Roscommon. All oh, right, that's, that's nice. Amazing. I'm sat on my lounger when you guys mentioned Shane Curran, Roscommon and Napoli and I swear to fuck it was like Kaiser Sosa, <laughs> Naples, Roscommon, fireworks, anniversary. I quickly Googled him and realised I was talking to a legend. You like that, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as he... Uh did you go out for a few after having made the connection? Did you did you not go out and step out for a few pints with Shane Kern and his beautiful wife? They're celebrating twenty five. I, I presume we passed on. I can't even remember if we passed on a wedding anniversary. So, uh, congratulations to the to person. Shane. I'm sure, we did. Oh, we did yeah. on, uh, when he revealed this. This is last week. Course, in case yeah. people missed this, we just found out on the morning after Napoli had won the title that he was in we and had around. We a reporter on the, yeah, on, the, yeah. on the ground. So he duty reported. Did he uh, red pill you on Arsenal's uh, <laughs> Arsenal, the refereeing situation, the institutional, the the they just won't let Arsenal win. Mm. You know, we know that. Yeah, we're uh, listen. Anyone, anyone with a half a brain. But he toned it, yeah. that. He toned that down on air. I think somewhat from <laughs> social, social media, as is the case sometimes. Listen, I think maybe that's for the best with, with people who follow sport. I follow teams so closely and so passionately. Yeah. That's, that passion on is what we need in our sports people. It's turning. It's turning, blood. That's actually Shane Kern. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Murph. <laughs> Thank you, Owen Guramagad. Owen Guramagad. Thanks for listening. We'll talk Diego tomorrow. Loads of great stuff coming up this week. Become a member now at secondcaptains.com. And don't forget, the Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Radio Network. I said it fast enough, so Murph couldn't say it in there. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 